Welcome to Wing Talk from the INAP Fixed Wing Group. Now here is your host, Steve Schlesinger. Hey everybody, welcome to Wing Talk. We got a special episode today. Oh my gosh, or tonight, wherever you're at. Um, we've got some great guests. We've got holdback from last month. Mr. Josh Galt is back with us. Also joining him from fellow Funny Farm member, Andrew Bolton will be with him. So these two are going to be fabulous together. A lot of good positive energy. Um, we've got four interesting topics today. The first and foremost is that INAV 2.7 has some really huge new changes coming out. Mark has a actual copy of it that he put on his plane. He has a tested and he just went out flying with it today. So he'll give us a report on that and go over all the features and why this is going to be like the thing, why you're going to be upgrading all of your planes to INAV 2.7. Um, Darren is going to talk about size and reliability of flight controllers. Are the bigger ones with bigger backs better? Um, they're also starting to get a lot smaller. We're going to find out more about that. Luke is going to go over a little bit about the NASA uh, rover and, as most importantly, the yeah, Luke's like laughing. He just found out about it about 20 minutes ago that he's doing this. So he had to bone <laughs> found up. Found out about it 20 minutes ago and disagreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So again, well, we're going to, uh, we'll be talking about the uh, flight controller, I mean, um, NASA and that new helicopter that is open source that they'll be launching sometime very soon here. And my topic for the month is going to be PID sharing and also diff sharing. So we're going to talk to these guys and find out if this is a worthwhile thing to do. Speaking of these guys, let's start it off with my partner in crime, the doctor of INAV himself, Mr. Mark Hoffman, coming from Holland, Germany. How's it going, Mark? Yeah, hi, Steve. Uh, I'm doing fine and looking forward to a great show again, as always. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, Luke, I mean, um, Darren. Darren's like waking up. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Uh, how, I'm not talking doing? about NASA. <laughs> yeah. You can talk about NASA too. Uh, all I know is that it was cool. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of, I, we've got what, four guys there from the UK today. So, um, how's the weather been lately for you guys? Wet. Very wet. Okay. <laughs> Miserable. Except for today. Yeah, today's been all right. <laughs> Fan well, okay, so we're all not quite in the flying season yet in the UK is what I'm hearing. No, but no certainly not at the moment. Okay. All right, so the next, uh, the main guy, oh, actually I should not skip this guy whatsoever. Um, Luke, I have something to ask you about. Yeah. There was a comment you made a while back Something about the only reason you like to fly iNav is because it supports the um, Maytech F-411 wing. It may have been a comment in bad taste, but I do believe I made it. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I found out this week that the Maytech F-411 wing has been discontinued. Very so much be, to my disappointment. Yeah. Yes. This will be your last episode of Wing Talk. Thank you very yep. much. You See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be uh, the, the guest host on Ardo Talk next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, fantastic. You're being replaced by Josh Galtz, and uh, it was great having him. So, Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you just, he came, look, he came in, you were out flying today, even in the bad weather? 
Uh, yeah, so today here in Portsmouth, we actually had kind of sort of okay weather. Uh, it was about seven mile an hour winds, which is really good. And it was only, you know, raining a little bit. So I can live with that. Yeah. Crashed a lot. All good. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we are going to, just a reminder, we're going to, at the one hour mark, I'm going to, we're going to take a 90 second pause so everyone can use the bathroom, get some beer or, or cola or beer cola as Mark likes to drink, and uh, we will be back. So we're only be off for 90 seconds. Um, you know, hey, Mark is holding, you hold that up again, Mark. Let everyone see what you're holding, drinking. All right. So this is something I do not get, which is it's a beer and Coca-Cola or some kind of cola mixed together. It's like, um, obviously, Glenn came out from the UK and loved it and ordered a case of it. He loved it so much. I guess he drank it all the time. Now I'm kind of curious. I got to find out how good that really is. Okay, so that's on the list. Just right, mix so Coke with month, beer. <laughs> it's just Coke with. Is that? Yeah, just know. just one third Coke and two third beer, and that's all. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe like five parts beer, one part Coke. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but don't take. Is weaker in America. But, but don't take. <laughs> Just don't take one of these very, very expensive $20, $30 bottles of beer, of course. Just some stuff you find somewhere in the sh on the shelf. <laughs> we got a lot of that stuff on the shelf. We call it, uh, what do they call it? Um, Meisterbrow. Wow. <laughs> we have some like, cheap, like, generic beers out here. Um, anyway, last month we had a Josh Galton, and it was supposed to be a segment that lasted about 15 minutes about all the different planes that we're talking about. And the problem was we didn't really like half, we didn't, between the four of us, we flew about half these planes. We didn't really own them all. Josh owned all of them. So we talked about all of them. And it was just, he was <laughs> such a great guest that people kept writing in saying how much they enjoyed the wing talk and how much we enjoyed them. So um, last month, he didn't know he was a guest. This month, I didn't know he was a guest until about two days ago. I suggested, <laughs> let's bring, so we got Andrew on. Why don't we bring Josh back? And these two would be great together. And Darren's like, no, no, I don't like that idea. And then on Friday, I hear, yeah, Josh is going to be on. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is great, but. <laughs> In all fairness, the only reason I said that was because I was waiting for the big drag. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 really, I said the same, really I said the same thing as well. The big I, I was cool with Josh being on, but we we want the big drags content, so. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> so, Josh, thank you for joining us again. You've been a fabulous guest, and uh, great to have you. Love the energy, love uh, what you brought to the group. So, looking forward to having you back here today, or this evening, I'd say, maybe. Um, and your partner in crime. This is a guy I've heard about so often. He gets his name comes up all the time. Like all the guests we had on, at one point or another, mentioned Andrew Bolton. And I'm like, you know, when it's like the fifth time I've heard his name, I'm like, who is this guy? We got to have him on. He's, obviously, he sounds really fantastic. And Andrew, he's shaking his head. He's not fantastic. <laughs> Andrew, looking forward to having you today. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it's good. Good to be on. Fantastic. All right, great. We're well. <laughs> um, anyway, today we are going to first topic is going to be, and yeah, we're in minute eight um, on the brand new iNav 2.7 feature, which is Mark's going to get into and kind of explain. This to me, I think, is going to be a game changer. Mark 
this is going to bring a lot more people into INAV, especially if you're not really familiar with how to get the plane tuned properly. So, Mark, can you please go over this? That's me. <laughs> yeah, guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, in INAV 2.6, there was a lot of advance uh, or advancements and progress in uh, how the plane flies. Auto launch was optimized. The uh, PIF controller was a little bit optimized. So the flying behavior, we have the control smoothness now. We have... Uh, more things that make the plane, uh, planes fly smoother and uh, giving more possibilities to fine-tune stuff and with 2.7 uh, as far as i know how the development goes right now it goes more into easier and better tuning and uh, two very important aspect aspects of enough tuning is uh, the pitch alignment so INAV knows where the correct level is to fly uh, in a straight level and keeping altitude and the control rates and I would say 80% of all pilots getting into INAV even when they read the, uh, the tuning guides uh, don't get the point ignore the point how important it is to uh, set the correct rates for example and there, uh, uh, there will be if all goes well, there will be two new features for the tuning. One is auto board alignment or auto pitch trim. So what INAF can do is it looks at the barometer or GPS value data to uh, look if the plane descends or ascends if you fly in angle mode and then autom automatically adjust the pitch angle to fly as level as possible. That's not altitude hold, it's just a trim for the board pitch angle. And uh, this will get a new, uh, a new value in the CLI. Uh, this can be changed in the configurator uh, manually too, as a, to have a center point or a starting point. And we don't have to touch the board sensor alignment anymore with 2.7, if all goes well. Yeah, Steve, you so want to say something? Yeah, that, so what you're saying is you don't need to do a calibration of the flight controller when you first get it, save those settings, those ACC settings. Yeah, I mean, you still have to do the accelerometer calibration, of course, that's a standard step. It just needs the correct values for each uh, angle, but okay. you don't have to use the board sensor alignment feature in the configuration tab. Maybe it will even uh, be completely removed from the configurator GUI just in the CI in the future. Pavel is not, uh, not uh, certain about that yet. Uh, but then we will uh, have just a new value to have a dedicated board pitch trim. And with this new value, it doesn't matter if your board is uh, turned by 90 degrees, uh, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, or if it's upside down, it doesn't matter anymore. You have a clear pitch angle, a positive number is pitch up, uh, nose pitch up, and a negative number is nose pitch down. This new value will make the board pitch alignment much easier, and we will get this the possibility to completely auto-tune this value. For now, um, in the first iterations, uh, I will test, or Pavel and I am testing, uh, it will only work in angle and horizon mode because the problem is if you have altitude hold active at the same time this will mess with this auto alignment how it works right now so uh, maybe Pavel will find a way later to um, to keep both active uh, together altitude hold and the board trim alignment but for now you can either use it the whole time 
on angle or horizon mode you can enable it permanently or you just use it as a tuning feature like auto trim and auto tune you just go into angle mode you enable the feature you wait a few seconds until the plane flies level you disable it you save and you are done okay so let's get through this now i'm really curious about this the whole process of uh, setting up a plane um so everything I'll go through step by step. The first thing we do is build a plane and you get the CG right. Okay, and Mark's shaking his head. The next thing you do is you take the plane out for a flight and you do a manual tune. So make sure that your trims are set to zero, right? Yep. Okay, so that's gonna that has not changed. So everything you've, up to this point, borderline <clears throat> man getting the CG right. And the reason I bring up CG is people get that wrong quite often. And when the CG is wrong, the plane doesn't fly quite right. Then after that, the first thing you should do after that is to do an auto trim. That's what we've done in the past is do an auto trim. Is that step still happening? Yeah, you still have to auto trim, of course, to have the right center value and to keep the uh, flight controller integral value as close to zero as possible in straight level flight. Yeah. Okay. Then So then after this point, you go to auto trim and you go back and you keep setting your trim so that your trims are between 1450 and 1550, correct? Yes. Okay, then after that, you would do an auto-tune when you have the trim set, and then you do an auto-tune. And then, so this is something that's used in conjunction with that. What I see this for more like is when you're out flying, sometimes when you put a pack that's heavier in, the plane actually is a little bit more nose-heavy. So this will help keep the plane level for when you have... Uh, no, that that has nothing to do with the uh, with the keeping the plane level. It's really just for the trim alignment to have a specific uh, nose pitch attitude while you are in angle mode, just to tell the flight controller what plane attitude is level flight. Okay. And, and this will then automatically, it's similar like uh, the servo trim, you try to have the servos trimmed in the correct position, so the uh, PIF controller has not much to do to keep the plane at the current attitude. And the same is for the board pitch alignment then, uh, so the altitude pit controller has not much to do to keep the plane at altitude. And this is what you basically do, uh, do with that. Uh, till now we have to tune that manually it's all in the tuning guides i think in phase three uh, for the fully autonomous tuning and uh yeah with this new feature this board pitch trimming uh, will be much easier than it is now okay so then speaking of the modes you have the modes which are manual this won't affect manual and this will the mode acro will not affect acro either right no this it's is all only the only two modes is well well the two modes that would affect of course is angle and horizon because horizon is a blend of angle and acro together yeah it basically uh, affects all self-leveling modes so angle mode horizon mode uh cruise mode return okay. to home and waypoint missions as long as you don't make turns or uh, loiter on uh, on the on spot Okay, then the term that we use often, quite often, is called dolphining. When a plane is flying in one of those cruise modes where, especially if it's a large plane, it starts to go up and pitch down and up and down. Um, will that help with that at all? Uh, depends. So, I mean, we have this phenomenon that 
if the board pitch alignment is not correct so the altitude controller has to fight the whole time to keep the correct altitude because the nose is too low or the nose is too high uh, this usually causes only altitude fluctuations in position hold so if you if you fly in circles because the if the bank angle axis will not be at the right spot so the plane will dive if it goes into an okay. angle uh, and the dolphining as we saw recently uh, as with a lot of attention uh, on Andrew Newton's video with the mini crosswind uh, that's actually another topic uh, and that's that's caused because of wrong rate settings control rate okay. settings and uh, usually a too low feed forward for the given rates but we can talk about that in a minute We'll be talking about rates uh, later on, especially when we talk about pitch sharing and things like that and, and why we're going to help out with rates, but not really with other things. So we'll get back to that later on tonight, um, wherever you are in the world. Um, all right. So that sounds like it's pretty interesting. Darren, do you have any observations as far as this is concerned? He's like smiling. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, where's the mute button gone? Um, <laughs> no, no. It's, I mean, it, it sounds like quite a cool feature, especially for for new people. I mean, just just to confirm, all all it is is if you've got your plane flying level, you've got your board pitch alignment, and usually you add like minus four to minus eight degrees just to bring the nose up. All it is is doing that, so it flies level. That's all it's doing automatically. Oh, okay. So normally uh, you put like a negative three in the value. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the configuration tab. Yeah, that, that's yeah. all it's really getting rid of. But a lot of people either don't do it or or just completely forget about it. So it's, it's taking that out of the equation. The only thing that um, I think you mentioned it can be saved because obviously you, you don't want it to be set and the next time you fly it to be wrong again. So I'm guessing this can still be saved into the configuration somewhere. Yes, you can. Uh, the, the value can be saved after the flight. Uh, so like an auto tune or auto trim, of course. And the plan is right now that you usually use it while you are tuning the plane. Uh, but you can keep it enabled during any flight. But if you land, then uh, the last you land in acro mode, for example, in acro mode, the last setting will just stay as it is. It will not change anymore. Uh, so you can save. And if you launch the next time, this will be your new starting value, even if you have it permanently enabled. But you can also use, this, uh, use it as a pure tuning value. So uh, you do a tuning flight. I mean, my idea was um, to like set it on auto trim. And then if you do the auto trim, you also do the uh, board align tuning, alignment tuning uh, on the same channel at this point. So you trim and align the angle mode at the same time. Hmm. I think that could be possible. So then you are just disable auto trim, land safe, of course, manually, and you're basically done. Yeah, cool. That sounds good. I think, I, I think it will help people. So, yeah, sir. So, so you had your first flight with it today? Uh, yes, but it was not working yet. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Pavel, Pavel itself, he is uh, sick at home right now. He has uh, broken his leg, so he cannot go fly at the moment. And um, he sent me a firmware for the Dart 250G. So this one was in the air today to test that. And also for the Rafax. And yeah, I tried it, but it does adjust the 
pitch alignment, but only if the throttle is uh, below cruise throttle right now. So there are some code errors still. And it's also adjusting too fast, but basically it worked. So when I put the throttle at the right position and I flew in angle mode, really the altitude was dead center. Even in angle mode, it was perfectly adjusting and it hit exactly the five to six degree angle I needed on that plane before uh, to fly level. So it, it's already working, just some uh, things need some fine tuning. Oh my gosh, that's, that's great. Cause this is like a major, you know, what we're trying to do is help people get into INAV and have their first plane be successful. And cause once they get the first plane going, the next 15 or 20 are really easy to work on. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, th this is one of the new features uh, that's helpful for tuning. But I think uh, the second thing, but this is in a still even earlier stage right now, uh, is the automatic rate detection for your plane. So I talked to a few developers uh, about this uh, already. And the idea is to... Um, to add another feature to the auto-tune that is able to automatically detect if your, um, how do I explain that as easy as possible? Uh, the, you set some rates in the flight controller, like let's say a roll rate of 180 degrees per second. And then you fly your auto-tune, uh, auto you make a roll or yeah, a roll maneuver and uh, the plane is too slow. So what INAV will do, it will raise the feed forward value more and more to get more surface deflection to reach this 180 degrees per second. But at one point, the uh, servo is saturated. So like you are on 2000 uh, microseconds output value already, the servo cannot go further, but the feed forward val uh, value will still rise all the time and it will go into yeah, to the sky. And uh, the new feature will be able to detect that. So uh, it will see, okay, the servo output value is reaching the mixer limit already on this axis. And the plan is to then automatically decrease the roll rate step by step till the uh, servo is in a reasonable, is moving in a reasonable area and the auto-tune will automatically follow this new rate. So you never have to fly manual, do full rolls, do a looping, count the frames in your DVR to calculate how much rate uh, you can maxim, uh, achieve uh, at a max. Uh, INAV can do that for you. And the plan, the plan is to have three options for this. Uh, a fixed value that will work as it does right now. So if you know what you're doing, you use the fixed value, you set your rates and this will stay. A uh, max rate limit that will uh, only reduce the rates if it's too high for the airplane, but not raise them if you want to have a more gentle tune. And a fully automatic that will automatically determine the maximum safe rates on e each axis. So. That's the plan, but this is still in a very, very early development state. And I know that two developers want to watch into that uh, at the moment to find how to figure that out. So all of a sudden we're getting in, the developers are getting into the fixed wing like I've never seen before with <laughs> iNav. Yeah. Do you have something to do with that? Um, I'm not coding. I just had the ideas of these two features. So, <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. This is uh, this, this is quite amazing. <clears throat> so, the group we're watching what people are struggling with, and we're coming up with ideas how to help people out in the group, which is 
and for the whole INAV community, which is great because more and more people want to get into INAV. Um, before I forget, I want to mention one of our members was really kind enough to send me the, um, he doesn't want to be named, but he sent me a banner. He was really excited about it. He really loves the show and the group and everything else like that. So he made a banner, uh, put it up behind me, take this out to flying events and things like that. So thank you very much for doing that. I really appreciate it. It looks great. So, um, and if you feel like sending me cookies, I chocolate chip, love those. Um, and I, I think Darren's more like butterscotch in the UK. He likes those. And I don't know. So, um, we're going to, uh, before we finish up on this topic, I wanted to ask Luke if he had anything you want to add to that. No, not particularly. Mark explained it pretty well. Okay. <laughs> so we do, we do have one question in the chat. And that's uh, from Davey. Um, surely auto trim currently can help achieve the correct Elevon reflex rather than vary the board pitch alignment value. Um, so wouldn't that be a proponent of trim, I think, is what, what he's asking. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's something that's often uh, mixed up. I mean, even Steve mixed that up before. Uh, the trim will own, uh, the servo trim will only uh, determine the correct um, reflex deflection or the, the, the correct reflex to keep the plane as stable and as uh, attitude locked as possible. So the PIV controller has less work to do. But what the board pitch alignment is doing to find the correct angle of the plane to fly level and keep altitude. So that's only for self-leveling mode. So the plane basically knows where the level flight is in, the in, in what correct attitude. So that's the difference here. Uh, before we get off this topic, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, there's, as far as horizon mode, I mentioned that it's a mix between uh, the angle mode. So the idea behind horizon mode is that when you go, if you imagine a big circle, so your your controller has a big circle, and halfway across the controller, so when you move your sticks, more than halfway, when you're inside this the, imagine the circle has two parts to it, an inner layer and an outer layer. Half of it's inside and the other half is outside. When you're inside, you're in actually in angle mode. And then when you go to the outside, you're in acro mode. And there's a value you can change in that to, which is that I term or um, to switch it. So you can, it's at 0.5, you can switch it to 0.6 so that you can go 60% of the way across or you can make that circle smaller or bigger in the center so that you have more of acro mode and less of angle mode or so do you guys have to remember which mode that was darren i haven't got a clue i don't really use her i don't know what you're on about i know, right? I know what you say i know what you're saying basically the stick movement you from middle to full extreme stick movement halfway is the switch between horizon and then acro right and you can obviously vary where that is. Uh, I guess I, I don't. I don't know what the command is. <laughs> I, I think it's I mean, in the GUI. I think it's like a um, like a threshold or something. It's not, it's, it, it is yeah, my term, but it's, it's, it is some kind of threshold. Yeah, it's the uh, it's um, it's actually called horizon uh, threshold or horizon trigger. Let, let me connect the pen. Yeah. I can I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyways. By, the, by the way, there was just a question from uh, Blackbird Boy One. Uh, that sounds very complicated. Rates for planes are subjective, depends on flying experience and how you like to fly, but certainly could be useful. Uh, I have to uh, say that's not fully true because uh, planes. Wait, wait I mean, Mark's disagreeing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm disagreeing here. I mean, it's, it's I, not even wait, can, I, can I disagree with Mark? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes, of course. Uh, it's subjective how uh, high you want you, you want to have your rates, but it's important to have the rates lower than the uh, maximum rates the plane can actually achieve. I mean, uh, you cannot fly an an Airbus A380 with. Uh, 200 degrees uh, per second on roll, for example. I mean, uh, use a Sky Hunter. Um, a Sky Hunter cannot roll one time per second. It takes three seconds to, to complete a full roll and it uh, takes four or five seconds to complete a full loop. Uh, that's just physical borders you cannot uh, pass. And uh, INAF needs to know these limits. If the rates are too high, then the PIF controller just will freak out because it tries to get to the rate, but the plane does just not follow. I believe you said there was a mode where INAV will take your rates into consideration and only lower them rather than increase them. So I think that would be uh, the most useful mode and it wouldn't interfere with what you're on about there, Blackbird. Uh, exactly. Yeah, obviously it might interfere with it in terms of it will bring them down, but that's only because the plane can't achieve that roll rate, so you know it has to be brought down. Josh, you say something? Yeah, um, I mean, you see, up to like about three weeks ago, I would have kind of agreed with what Blackbird Boy is saying, but until Mark explained to me the importance of um, you know setting the rates correctly, so think about a plane that doesn't do any sort of acrobatics or shouldn't do and that's the mini crosswind and actually having the rate set incorrectly just absolutely ruins everything else in the tune so if you try auto tune or if you just try your um you know your your alt hold anything like that there everything is completely knackered so you actually do have to set the rates you know kind of close to what the plane should be and uh, yeah that that feature would would definitely help me a lot, just because it would stop me having to go back and check the DVR now. But before, I just wasn't even doing it, and it, it was a massive mistake. <laughs> it is worth noting that you can always have the rates lower than what the plane can physically yeah. do. It's only you can't yeah. have them too high. It. Yeah. So that's why I think this feature would be good because it has got the three modes. It has got the fully manual mode. It has got only lower than what you've set. Which, if you want to fly something sedate, you obviously sort of have a rough idea. And if it's too high, as Luke said, it will lower them. Or if you do want to fly to the extremes and have something very agile, you set it to the mode where it can go to the top, you know, raise it as well. Because it may even raise it higher than what you think it's, poss it's physically capable of. So, you know, it, I can't see it being a bad thing at all. It, whatever you want from it, it can provide. Yeah, and by the way, the uh, transition point Steve and uh, Josh were talking about before is called transition in brackets horizon. So it's the horizon transition. By default, it's at 75% of stick deflection. But basically, yeah, like uh, Steve said, you could uh, lower that down to like 10%. So only on stick center, the plane will level out. But as soon as you move the stick just a tiny bit, you will switch into acro. Yeah, I wanted to bring that. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, I want to bring that up because that really, I think, horizon mode, especially from Mark Hoffman, 
does not get the respect it deserves. And it really, <laughs> if you like acro mode, but you want to let go of the sticks, and if you're in stick center, everything is self-leveling, this is the best of both worlds. You can have, you know, the fun of being in, ac in, in acro mode, but also the, you know, when you want to let go and just let the plane fly, it will do it as well. So it's a great mode. This might help that the horizon mode get the respect it deserves. Um, yeah, but, but <clears throat> I mean, I like to fly like uh, upside down, like upside down low attitude. That's that's pretty challenging, but that's not possible at this point because as, so as soon as you release the stick, <laughs> because the plane is locked in attitude with a good piff tuning, uh, it will just flip uh, uh, upright again. <laughs> so then you need acro mode if you want to fly upside down. <laughs> uh, I really, really hate well, horizon I mode. You can't <laughs> convince me otherwise. Uh, <laughs> even, it's it's even, kill my plane though. Yeah. Even, even Pavel said uh, horizon mode on plane is the evil mode. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never used it, I might add, but I hate it. I... <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, any other any points about this mode, uh, this new update? I know 2.7 before we move on. Um, I think that are the pretty much biggest things that will come uh, that will come in 2.7. I know about. I mean, uh, not sure if Darren found something something else. Um, no. I mean, there's there's one thing that quite a few people seem to be quite excited about, and to be honest, I never really got it, and that's prearm. Um, it looks like it's possibly going to be in 2.7, which is a, a, a beta flight thing. So on a quad, it's it's from my point of view, it seemed like just it's a quad thing. Uh, but what it means, you hold your momentary switch before you can actually put your arm switch or however you've got it set up. You need to go into that pre-arm position before you can do the full arm. And someone actually on my YouTube channel pointed out that actually, no, it's really good for fixed wing. If you use something like, uh, I think they were using uh, Easy UHF, where you don't have like a no pulses or cut fail safe. So if you lose connection there, you're based purely on stick positions. And if that position is armed, uh, it can cause problems. So having the pre-arm is actually really useful for older or, or you know, uh, receiver without uh, the uh, fail-safe bit, basically. So I think that's coming in 2.7. It's certainly in the pull requests. Um, I've put in a pull request to try and get more ranges in the mode screen um because uh josh and i were actually sort of battling to see how many modes we could squeeze on one channel <laughs> on the transmitter yeah and one thing that i discovered was i actually ran out of modes in inav but i could assign to channels <laughs> so i think i had on one channel i had three operations so i had arming um three position switch and then another three position switch so that sort of you got I think nine positions. Basically, you've got yeah. about 27 positions on that one channel. <laughs> wow. And that soon fills up your modes. And basically, in INAV, at the moment, you're limited to, I believe it's 20. So I'm trying to get that bumped up to 40, um, which will help doing stuff like that, which it may seem like a stupid thing to do. But if you've got something like Crossfire, you're limited to 12 channels. So there is a limit there. I mean, obviously, we were sort of going to extremes. You only really need to piggyback two things onto a channel um, yeah. and that'll be fine. Like I've done arming and modes or tuning and modes or something like that on my, my setup now. So it's it's a lot less. 
Um, so hopefully that will be implemented so we can try and get a, a, a bit more range, especially um, you know, some systems only have eight channels, so it would really help uh, those sort of systems out too. So that's, that's just another few things I've noticed. I mean, on, on my planes, when I go flying, I have uh, by accident always a pre-arm because every time I arm, something is not wrong, uh, not right. So like throttle is not low or auto-tune is on or something is every time. <laughs> so every time I need two, two tries and I am able to uh, arm the plane. Uh, Pavel just recently released a video, I think a few weeks ago, that was really clever actually, um, where he said, if you carry your plane, your throttle position has to be on max throttle. Just raise the stick, because then it's impossible to accidentally arm the plane at this yeah, point. So that, that's, the, that's the safest way to transport the plane and your radio in the other hand by just having the throttle at max. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. And also Henrik Sodoff, H7, no. <laughs> <That was 2020. laughs> no one asks for H7. No, uh, just kidding. I mean, uh, yeah, H7, uh Konstantin is still working on it uh we can follow his thread he has check boxes what is done what needs to be done just open the github uh the github um uh ticket and <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you can yeah, uh, see how the plan is yeah when can we get vector support <laughs> well, someone needs to support it now <laughs> i do <laughs> Um, Caroline Tyler RC is asking any chance for better waypoint selection in mission planner yeah I think that's a mission planner thing actually and not enough um, <laughs> I mean the, actually the best mission planner for enough right now is the uh, mission planner app on Android in my opinion because you set a waypoint you change the altitude and then you can set 20 more waypoints in this altitude um, what you can also do, it's a little bit more complicated, maybe some uh, developer will make some kind of plugin for that uh, to use like Q-Ground Control, export uh, waypoint mission that's made for autopilot and then you can, can convert that to an INAV mission, uh, fire and load it to INAV. So you even have uh, ground altitude included and uh, monitored in the mission planner app. And I think there was also one developer I've, uh, I talked to uh, last year sometime. Uh, he said he is planning on um, integrating an MSP support for INAV that's at least able to read and translate uh, autopilot mission commands or mission mission code so you can use like your ground control or the autopilot uh, mission planner for pc to plan your waypoint mission and then upload it directly to INAV and INAV will detect okay that's autopilot mission file and will translate it correctly and save as an INAV mission on the uh, flight controller i have no idea how the status is on this thing right now I, uh, one other thing that might well is going to be coming to configurator is the map will be full screen <laughs> so yeah uh, that, that will be helpful in, in the um, i think it's both the gps and the mission planner the, the map will now fill the screen 
I mean, especially uh, for high resolution screens. I mean, I have full HD screens. It's basically full screen already for me. But yeah, I I've seen on uh, um, on two K screens or four K screens where it just uses like a tiny square <laughs> on the on the screen area. Fantastic. Okay, so we've had big brain stuff going on for the last forty minutes here. Everyone's brain is on overload thinking about all the planes that they're going to have to update here in the next uh, probably this we're estimating that this release is coming out 2.7 the 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 beta is coming out probably what in the next month or so I'd have said a bit longer than that I'd have yeah. said April uh, earliest okay. uh, 2.6.1 was supposed to be released today I don't know if it has been but there was um there was a uh, an issue raised in there from Constantine asking for features for 2.6.1. So if it's not out today, it will be out very soon with a, a few minor updates in it. Yeah, Sounds and uh, I think if I remember correctly, Pavel said maybe a first uh, release candidate sometime in May and a release possibly somewhere in June. So we have a few months to go. Okay. So June, so we're looking at maybe one, maybe two release, releases this year. Um, anyway, we had the big brain stuff here. I think everyone's brain is on overload. We need time for relaxation and entertainment. That's why we have Josh Galtz and Andrew Bolton here today to tell us about the funny farm. And so, um, guys, the funny farm, can you please fill us in for people like us Americans who have no idea what the funny farm is, um, what it's about, what you guys do there? Um, well, basically, the funny farm is is a kind of what I started probably eight years ago, I suppose, when I started sort of really getting into, um, into back into flying again. Um, I say we've we got a, a good bunch of lads there. Um, basically, we fly, we cr well, sorry, we land, and then we blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we even blow them up while they're still flying. <laughs> so you take planes, you fly. Okay, this is the funny farm is someone's farm field somewhere. It's a secret location, right? Yeah, it's my dad's farm. It's your dad's farm. Okay. The secret like location. Secret location. We don't know where Mr. Bolton is at, and. Okay, somewhere in England, there's the Funny Farm, and it's a special invitation to get there. You have to know Andrew Bolton to get there, and you have special guests like. Uh, so when we see those videos from Matt for the Ragging the Nuts off, that's yeah. lots for a film there at the Funny Farm, right? Yeah, quite a lot of it. Yeah, I'll say it, it sort of it didn't really get published on YouTube at all until Matt turned up and started sort of doing his channel and stuff. But the um, we've been doing it way before Matthews started turned up. We were, it's probably a good, good four or five years before Matthew does that. I say the, the the videos never made it to YouTube that much. I think I know why. <laughs> um, I, th I think I think I can fill in a lot of gaps for Andy there because, uh, like, I I uh, I kind of like arrived at the funny farm. I think we're all still wonder how I even got the invite. It was. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, I just turned up one time with a mini quad <laughs> and um but yeah the guys got me into um flying planes for sure um but 
it is the only place I think that you can go to that you probably should wear a helmet whenever you're standing there. <laughs> you're at risk of getting hit with anything that flies. It doesn't matter if it's a Bix or anything. Um, something is probably going to hit you on the head during the day. <laughs> but uh, no, absolutely hilarious. Uh, it's certainly good fun. Fantastic. Speaking of Matt, have you guys heard from Matt recently? Yeah, we. I, I hear from him quite regularly. Um, but I say he's... he's Obviously, being in the UK in the lockdown at the moment, there isn't a lot of uh, flying and stuff going on. So he's it's kind of we. Have, I think we is it Josh. We sort of met about three times last year. Yeah, haven't, haven't met at all this year yet. Yeah, because okay. of the lockdowns. But people are asking me about him, where he's at, what he's up to, and stuff like that. Uh, so it's obviously, it's still, it's still his hobby, but he's not doing. Obviously, we, well, when we haven't had the chance to do any funny farms, but it's the he's certainly still flying. Okay, I'm sure he's built a lot of stuff, and he's he'll be back with it. It's, he's got his great personality, and he's just love his videos. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is great to see him back. So yeah, speaking of that UK lockdown, you guys are. What is it like? I mean, um, we. I should mention uh, we got a new moderator, um, Arthur. We joined the group. I actually asked him to help me out on day one, and I didn't know he was starting a company, and so. A company got to be really kind of busy. Plus, he's also has a music. He does music for movies and things like that. And he's got four kids under age twelve. And he was like, "Listen, I can't do this anymore." So I want to thank Steve Lydon for stepping in as the moderator role. And we also have Leslie Yagen, who's going to help out with uh, the newer pilots. Um, but um, um, so Steve has been telling me Steve's in the UK. I guess he's uh, he's in Leeds, and he's been telling me that the weather has just been absolutely horrible out there. And plus, he was telling me what it's like to be on lockdown. It's very different from the United States. Can you guys kind of go over what it's like to be there as far as can you go out and fly at all? It sounds like it's a no. You can, I think you can go out and fly in your own sort of thing. I don't think you can uh, mix as, you can't go as a group anymore. Certainly not in lockdown. Uh, is it number three at the moment we're on? Yeah. Three or four, something like that. Yeah. That. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Basically. Yeah, I think it, it kind of depends on your interpretation of the rules. Yeah. Uh, you're allowed to go out for exercise. So I say, well, you know, if I go and run when I go and crash my plane and pick it up, does that count as exercise? You know, I'm swinging around throwing my DLG. Does that count as exercise? <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Out, out, recreation. On yeah. Phone or with one other person. So yeah. yeah. RC planes is recreation and sport. Over here. Yeah, so, yeah. We, so I, I just make sure I don't, you know, interact with other people and stuff. But that's yeah. Let's let's call it mental regeneration. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when we had the worst of the lockdown, like they were locking the parking lots to the parks. This was like summer of last year, and um, I went to a local park and like I snuck in. I had my dog off leash. I'm flying my RC plane. And then there's a school next to this park. And I heard someone talking to my dog. I look over there. There's a police officer. And he's got a bent. You know, of course, the he's wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm flying RC planes in the park. And I got my dog off leash. And the cops just want to talk about my dog. How is she? She looks great. Love that dog. And, like, didn't care at all that I was out there by myself. I think it's a little bit overrated, especially if you go out onesies, twosies. Plus, when you're out flying, you usually are six feet apart, and you're outdoors. And so, I don't know. Um, 
we had in the United States, I live in Southern California, we had at one point in December, January 11th, we had the highest amount of COVID. I think we're like number one in the world. And uh, we've dropped like 70% in the last month as far as COVID cases. So have the COVID cases been dropping in the UK as well? Yeah, yeah, slowly. But they are going down. And I believe they've been, oh, sorry, yeah. I was, I was just going to say we've we've been through a real rough patch at the minute, haven't we? Like, and uh, yeah, it's getting getting better. So hopefully things will change soon. Yeah, I think they're starting to drop off quite quickly now because we've had, uh, I think, uh, a quarter of the population now vaccinated. So yeah, it's really but dropping yeah, off. Had their first jab. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, only their first jab. Yeah. We only have like six percent that have gotten the full course of. Um, both doses is we are our rates are really low in the united states we have a larger population so um but it's good to see like it's going down plus we're getting that uk variant that's gonna be our dominant variant <laughs> thanks guys for bringing that over really appreciate it <laughs> made it specially for you <laughs> actually it's a, it's a good variant because it's very curable with the vaccines that we have so um what it looks like then is we're going to be out flying this summer and i think a lot of people are be really excited i think people are sitting at home right now they're in lockdown and they're looking forward to uh, getting out and flying and so what do you guys work we're going to talk uh what next segment about the planes that you're working on um but um other than the big drac uh what, what are you guys working on andrew i've got a, a um, middle-sized sky hunter on the bench at the moment middle size sky hunter no the middle one i suppose it's just the, is it an all 1200 wingspan okay yeah it's not it's not the little one but it's not the big one <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've put it into a twin a twin tractor oh wow so that's um on the bench so i've just i just sort one up the um 675 this afternoon oh just, cool just loaded that up with voinav fingers crossed <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, certainly going well. I got the um, was it the nacelles off uh, my Elva bird? The one that ended up on the power lines. I don't know if you saw the. <laughs> Wait a minute! You crashed your Elva bird? I, Into the yeah. power lines. <laughs> yeah, it was hung on the power lines for about forty minutes. Huh. <laughs> Were you specifically, you know, trying to dodge around the power lines, or did they just kind of jump up on you? I knew they were there. But <laughs> uh, it sounds like they jumped up on you. I, uh, I, yeah, it's one of how you can get get away with it, but I didn't get away with it this time. Yeah, <laughs> but Andrew, but but Andrew, you you didn't fly secretly in Texas, right? No, no, not Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Would explain some things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I fly Dragon Link, but I don't think it stretched that far. <laughs> That sounds good. What? So the Alba Bird? Are you going to build another one, or is that it for the Alba Bird? Uh, I do want another one. That is probably one of the, I, the Mini Talon. I've always had a Mini Talon. I don't know if you've seen my some of the videos, but I basically had a Mini Talon forever. Oh, there, there, Josh has got the picture up. Josh, say something. Well, yeah. Um. So this is the uh, the Alba Bird that got stuck up the power lines. <laughs> um, That's talent. Oh my gosh. It was only as stuck as good as the biggest rock we hit it with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 
Okay, I try to I try to get that physical uh, situation in my mind how this can happen. <laughs> I think it slid between the wing and the fuselage. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> it, it went straight. Well, it's yeah, say between the wing joint and the fuselage joint. Oh, oh I've had that happen a couple times. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it tucked behind one of the motor master gels as well, so it's kind of it took about half an hour, forty minutes to get down. <laughs> And then when you landed, did you blow it up? Uh, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, was hoping, I was hoping to save it, that one. Okay. Uh, but when I got it back, the only thing that was wor yeah, so worth saving was the motor mount, so that's what's <laughs> going on at Sky Hunter now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's... So, I've got to... I'll turn the camera on, is it? You guys see it on the bench there? Yeah, yeah. the mini Sky Hunter back there for that wings. Okay. Fantastic. Cool. So... Um, so what, besides the Albuquerque, what plane did you fly, I'd say recently, that you really loved? Um, you due to the lockdown, I haven't really flown a lot, but the, certainly the, the Albuquerque was the favourite. Um, and so I got a, a spec wing and what was the other one? The little Dart 250. That's what I've sort of flown last year. Um, but again, obviously due to UK rules, I haven't really been out a lot. Been stuck in my shed. <laughs> so we are kind of. I've been noticing the group when we had. Um, I think we asked before the top twenty-one planes, like around two thousand nineteen, and about half of them were just regular, um, regular wings. Just so they were not really extravagant. But now we're getting into planes that are sub two fifty. We're getting into planes that are twin motor. So it's kind of like. We're, we're trying a lot of different things. Plus that Sky Hunter, the mini Sky Hunter. Um, that's one thing I've always kind of noticed about the Sky Hunter is like the 1800 is a really big plane. And if you're putting big things in it, big batteries in there and plan to take it out for long distances, it's a fantastic plane. But the, the mid-size one there, what? how many uh, amps are you going to run on that plane? I've got two um, 230 amp PSCs on it. Um, it's obviously possibly way overkill. Uh, but you, I don't know. You're probably only looking at sort of 20 amps, I expect. Given okay. So that should fly for a couple hours then. Yeah. Well, yeah. You can probably you go for uh, distance or are you just going to go for, um, for enjoyment? Enjoy. That's what I go for. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I say, I don't, I don't really do um, super long distances. I don't basically just, it looks like having fun, really. I'm more of a hedge hopper. <laughs> So you so, just like to cruise around for a long time, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like in the UK, can you, um, I guess it's a little bit more, I, it seems like long range is kind of suited for different parts of the world. Yeah, like sure. out here in Southern California, we can get out to um, the um, Salton Sea and <clears throat> You can probably fly for 30, 40 miles, and, and you can actually drive on the highway, and the plane goes down, and you go pick it up and do what you like as far as that's concerned. No one's really bothering you that much. Um, there, I called up the cops in Borrego Springs one time and asked about you know, staying overnight or a park, and they're like, no, just stay wherever you want. It's just go off the side of the road and stay. So they're pretty you know, lax as far as that's concerned. But I imagine the U.K., if a plane goes down in a small farm field somewhere people will have something to say about it right and so long-range fpv is a little bit less uh likely to happen there yeah you certainly can't yeah uk is 
you can probably chuck a stone into everybody else's back garden around here so it's, it's like it is very uh um difficult i would say to uh certainly fly long range you have to be careful yeah certainly that's that's the <laughs> i mean I, th I think it's the best way if you uh, live somewhere on the coast or so and you can just fly over the ocean or so yeah exactly yeah so it's yes. quite like my dad's farm obviously i know quite a few of the neighboring farmers as well so if it does go down within i know say half a mile we're gonna you can know whose field is in okay and so they're pretty flexible as far as that's concerned yeah, mo yeah, most farmers won't care as long as they don't obviously hit any animals or damage anything. You'll be fine. Okay. We have cornfields out here. I, I don't know if you have cornfields out there. Um, yeah. Not in our area, no, no. Uh, the problem with the cornfields is that the the corn grows up to like eight or ten feet high. So when the planes <laughs> land on top of it, you'll never see them again. No, no, certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, that's cool. Um, what? Uh, so. Besides you guys, uh, you I had an invite one time for um, Darren showed up to the funny farm as well, right? Yeah, I, I don't know why we let him in. To be fair, <laughs> uh, I bet you regret that decision. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, aka Crasher. <laughs> I still got part of the thing you smashed up, Darren. Oh no, I was fine. The white one. The oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I yeah, broke. That I'm one, sure there's still a smash part of that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I still got closer to the tunnel than you did, though. <laughs> so, what, 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 trying to play the talent, wasn't I? In a, that was just out of none of it. So, what's the oh, error? Was there ever a day on the funny form where every plane survived that was brought? <laughs> no. <laughs> like you know, my drag. It's. I mean, it is like the most expensive foamy you can buy, and honestly, every two weeks, mine was coming home in a bin bag. <laughs> like, the mini talent took it down, it got taken down by a Vortini once. Um, what, else? What? what else? Have I hit loads of stuff? It gets racked every time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, spe speaking of the drag, uh, th that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to have Josh here again. We want to talk about your drag, your 15 kV uh, kW drag. <laughs> yeah, um, that's gonna be our next segment. We're running. We're about to hit the break here in, in like a few minutes. So. Sure. Okay, that's then... our tease. We'll come back and talk about the drag. Yes, the... There's, there's a lot going on with it. And I think uh, saying that this is the most expensive for me is an understatement in this case. <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah. I just, I just looked, uh, uh, looked up the just the ESC you have built in there, and just this ESC is more expensive than most of my planes with everything mm. in. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's guys. A, it's, it's a financial mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, uh, let's make a break break, 90 seconds, everything can go to the toilet or get another beer and then we are back. <laughs> Thanks for sticking in with us, the bathroom break is over, we're back, and as promised, the reason why we have Josh back is because we want to find out about this drac. This is the full-size drac, right? Yeah, the, the, the full-size drac, so um, the last time I was on, I think I was talking a little bit about the the mini drac that I've kind of cut in half and widened out. 
Um, but uh, yeah, since since then, um, kind of both builds have been rapidly progressing, I think, and uh, the Drac is now kind of almost there. I'm like literally a few parts away from uh, being able to launch this thing. And yeah, as as Mark was saying, um, a 15 kilowatt um, powertrain, which is kind of mental. Uh, um, by the way, it's not the first one that's being done. This is actually the second one. So um, it's a bit of a um, competition between me and one of the guys in the US. So he's managed to get his to 194 miles per hour, which for a big drag, a big chunky plane, that's actually kind of fast. Um, you know, and I suppose to put it in perspective, like a 15 kilowatt powertrain on a hotliner, it would probably do like over 500 kilometers an hour. So, wow. you know, the big drag, you can just about get it to 320. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's what I've been at. Um, and yeah, the, the last thing that I've picked up was the, or sorry, the one of the first things that I picked up was the ESE, which is, yeah, absolutely crazy money, but um, I guess you just kind of have to do these things sometimes to, to make it reliable. And then the next one was these um, was these servos that I've got. So they're like big Savox monster servos, I think they're called. But um, again, just another little bit of making it reliable and um, I'm making it, well, let's be honest, like make it safe to, to fly around because it is a big heavy plane. And uh, and I want everything to be absolutely rock solid on it. So, um, yeah, literally, I'm just about to um, like start making the control uh, the control rods for it. So I've got like um, I I make them like with like a carbon fiber rod like stuck into um, like one of these little MP jet ends and then little MP jet and um, ball joints. And uh, yeah, it should make for a really um, strong strong control surface and. Uh, yeah, I honestly, it just cannot wait to get it in the air. I've like ripped it up and uh, I've, I've like heard it, what it sounds like at 10 kilowatt and it is absolutely nuts. <laughs> 10 kilowatts. <laughs> oh God. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, so what's like, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was going to ask you, what, what has been holding you back right now? What's the issue? Well, to be honest with you, like, yeah, lockdown a little bit as well. Um, you know, we haven't really had the weather for it and we haven't, you know, properly been able to go out and I suppose meet up at the funny farm to properly maiden the thing. But uh, but look, let's be honest, like these things cost a lot of money. And, you know, I've been building myself up every time for some of these big purchases. So for, you know, like a like a, it, the, the SE actually got for $300, which is a lot less than what the RRP is. So um, stuff like that. And like the even even just the servos, you know, they're like another, you know, probably like two hundred and seventy dollars, something like that. There, it's it's a, it's a pretty pretty big spends for me, really. I'm I'm not used to it, but uh, I suppose you got to pay to play, and if you want to go fast, you know, you're gonna have to spend some money, really. <laughs> Better you than me. That's great. Yeah, I think I think I'm up to about like something crazy, like sixteen hundred pounds. So like over two thousand dollars and that's and that's also with some of the parts being very kindly given to me and um, like the motor from wow. uh, from ko so i, I had one flight with uh, a high-powered fun jet uh well let's call it a flight for now uh, it lasted <laughs> about five seconds or so and that five second flight cost me in the order of about 300 pounds yeah and that's it's uh it's when the hobby starts going not so fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. So um, this time last year, we had a guy, Larry Menchke, on, who was out of 
Texas. And he was the first guy to put FPV on a plane. And he, this is back in the 1980s. And he's using these CCD cameras that were like weighed a pound each, right? And these were gas-powered planes. And uh, just a brilliant guy to have on. He, he discovered a lot of things. But one of the things he did is his brother-in-law worked for a security company. And he got a colored camera that was um, – it was at the time it cost – at an employee discount, it was eighteen hundred U.S. dollars, and that was nineteen eighty. So it's about thirty-five hundred dollars in today's money. Anyway, he lost the plane, went into the ground, and everything was destroyed. And he had to pay back his brother-in-law over time. <laughs> wow. Okay. Hey, there's someone came out of the sky and handed you something. That's awesome. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> it's kind of neat. She showed up from behind. Andrew's playing behind you, and it was just Andrew Coffee. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I, uh, we were asking about that. I was like, "Can you believe you put?" I, I told him like, "I get nervous putting a GoPro on a camera on a plane, but you're doing something that costs you know three thousand dollars in today's money." And he's like, "You know, hey, I was just doing it. I was having fun." So more power to you it's uh just make sure you don't lose this plane that's actually it's such a big plane you can't lose it right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i have i have tried and andy andy knows all about that we um we tried to, to not lose it for eight hours and then it turned up in um somewhere <laughs> my, my nose is gonna get long if I say that I never do this kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I have a question, uh, basically to all of you. Uh, for for me, when I build a new plane, and it's not some kind of experiment or review or whatever, uh, when I buy uh, build planes for myself, uh, every plane has a special purpose. I and I wanna use it for that purpose uh, especially, and I. It looks for me like a lot of you guys are buying uh, or building planes just for the build and just fly it a few times. And sometimes it looks like uh, a plane is flew, uh, flown two, three times. Maybe if it survives the funny form, then uh, you just put it on a shelf uh, or hang it on the wall and never fly it again. Uh, am I right there? Uh, I would, well, I say I. I, I... I do the joy, enjoy the building in working out how things go together and actually sort of design and disclose the parts, the three and three D printing and all that sort of side of it. Um, but yeah, I, I I fly for fun really. I don't really um, have a specific purpose for any plane. Um, but sad, obviously, the ones that last a couple of weeks at the funny farm are the ones that I keep. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Certainly, yeah. As I say, there's obviously I've always, I'll always have a mini tally in the arsenal. I'll, yeah, it's just like, yeah. So I just sort of do it for fun more than anything. So, and if a plane does not fly like you like it, then maybe you just disassemble it and use the parts for something else. Um, yeah. Well, I say the be the best way to disassemble it is put a firework inside. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen that rapid disassembly a lot of times. <laughs> I think I think for me I, I'm lucky because um, you know obviously you got Matt there and um, and and you know, the rest of the guys like whenever whenever Matt from Rag the Nuts was was doing his kind of reviewing you could sort of see the planes that were quite good and I'm sure you know the same for Andrew as well um, you know you kind of end up you know sort of focusing more on the planes that um, that are a bit better but 
yeah, I mean, for me, like, uh, yeah, maybe maybe it doesn't seem like it, but like my Drac, it's got like over a thousand miles on it, you know, in in logs. So we've had probably at least like sixteen hours of flying out of that one plane, and um, yeah, I, I suppose whenever I start flying a plane for me, I kind of like fly it to death unless there's something that I don't really like about it. So um, the Alba Bird, I've flown it absolutely loads, but the cross, the Mini Crosswind, um, I haven't flown it so much. But up until um, you know, and I'll, and I'll thank you so much for for helping me with the tuning on that because it, it's gonna be a plane that I'm gonna fly more now. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so, sounds good. I mean, uh, if I if I look at my planes, like uh, I just show you, showed you that uh, Mini Dodge 250G, let that's like a park ripping plane. So I can just put it on my backpack and uh, go out with with a bike or with a scooter, uh, fly in a park. Uh, and even if there are people around, uh, <laughs> today when I was flying, I was sitting next to the, some strangers uh, and they looked at it. Oh, <laughs> that was. Pretty funny, actually. Uh, I, I landed and I came back and she, oh, that's so big, so such a big plane. I said, that's the smallest plane I have, actually. Uh, <laughs> but 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 yeah, I mean, uh, f um, people are not scared by the size of plane. Even no, on three no, S, no. uh, on four S, it screams a bit, but it's still pretty quiet. And if I if I'm in an open field uh, and I really want to go for speed and rip around, I have my high speed AR ring or my Rafax, uh, who really scream. And yeah, then I have mostly my long range planes. Most of my planes are built for long range for cruising around. And yeah, so that's my main purpose. I do some fun builds, like I did a scratch build, um, uh, a foam board, do dollar board uh, build race ring if you want to call it so but yeah it's flown two or three times <laughs> and it was flying so bad now it's it's laying around on the shelf fireworks fireworks yeah <laughs> yeah uh, some actually rockets. <laughs> yeah uh, what what you can't see is andy is actually sat on a throne of fireworks at the minute because we haven't been to the funny farm for so long <laughs> i've still got three or four left <laughs> uh, yeah. Three or four boxes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I still have two uh, Dart V1, so the old ZOHD darts uh, as kids around here. I think uh, maybe I will someday give one away or just build it for fun. And the second one, uh, maybe I will get some model rockets or so and make it the fastest dart on the planet for a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, I did that, didn't I? They had a, a Bixler. I, I, I think it was one of the guys from New Zealand. Um, they had a Bixler. They didn't like the way it flew. So they got a rocket, a uh, firework rocket, to try and blow it up. But actually, it just went really fast. <laughs> it actually flew really well. But it didn't cast failed successfully. It powered it. <laughs> okay. So... I wanted to get into the next topic here, which is Darren's topic, which is the size and reliability of flight controllers. So, Darren, can you introduce this, please? Yeah, I mean, this is um, it's more going to be sort of like a, a question and then a discussion for everyone in the group, to be honest. Um, it's not like a, a lecture or anything that I want right. to sort of just talk about. So it's, it's really just a, something that we can all discuss. Um, but I've done a little intro. Um, I'll put it over here so it looks like I'm looking at the camera, <laughs> not reading. Um, right, so firstly, it, I just want to say everything does have its place. And there's there's certainly builds where 
small flight controllers are necessary, like the Dart 250G or the Drift um, that Mark sort of mentioned earlier. Um, but the problem that I'm seeing is maybe the regular size flight controllers, they're trying to go too small. And is there a point where we're sacrificing the size of it for the reliability? Um, and actually, Josh brought up a pretty good point. And it's something I noticed as, as well, but um, Josh has seen it more um, in like the, the APD, ESC sort of groups and people using that. Um, and they've had flight controllers where the five volt, um, the five volt regulator has failed because they're using a 6S pack. Then um, there's no, no capacitor on it. Um, they power it up, they fly it. When they, it, it seems, to be if I'm, if I'm correct here, when they back off the power, it actually puts a spike through the, the flight controller, which blows the five volt regulator. Hmm. So, um, so obviously, if you're flying 6S or in, above, you want to put capacitors on there to, to help it. That's that's one thing, um, which unfortunately isn't in the documentation. Yeah. Uh, but is there a point where we're just trying to go too small for the sake of it, where we could actually stay the same size or even go a little bit bigger and have a more reliable product? So that that was what I was just going to open up to the group and see how they feel about the way things are going with regards to size. I mean, obviously, some flight controllers are multi-purpose, so they're for quads and for fixed wings, so they need to be that 36 by 36. But if you've got like a a dedicated wing flight controller should that be a, if you know if it says yeah like like andy's got there if it says it can run up to 8s should it already have a capacitor on that five volt rail to protect it mm. um I'm, I'm sure you said it was uh, just a capacitor that went not the inductor so it is down to spikes it's not down to loads so yeah that, that's that's basically the what i wanted to bring up um and get other people's thoughts on it and of course, I mean, people in the chat, if they want to put, put comments up as well, we can address that. I mean, that, that's actually a good point I also uh, saw in the past. I mean, uh, look at the F405. Uh, I think still, even today, it's maybe one of the most used flight controllers on any plane uh, running on INAF. And um, it was so robust, uh, robust uh, my first AR ring that uh, went high wire and uh, I got it back after two and a half months in the wild, the flight controller is still working and it's still in my RefX right now. Um, that's absolutely perfect. I, I've never seen any issues with the F405. And then uh, Maytag brought the F722 and uh, people were using it. It's running fine in the first place, but then people tried to make uh, high performance planes with the F722. And uh, the F722 was already shrinked down. It's smaller than the F405. And uh, the downside on this about is... The, SF, the 722 wing or the 722? Yeah, the, the F722 okay. wing, yeah. And okay. uh, the downside was all the components all the, also shrink down, even the shunt resistor for the current measurement. And the result of that was people looked, okay, datasheet says shunt resistor measures up to 130 amps. Yes, it can can measure up to 130 amps, but at, a, um, at over 70 amps sustained load, the shunt resistor and the traces on the board, and I think it's mainly the traces because the, the size shrunk, so there's not much room for traces. They can only add a few more layers uh, to, to handle the current, but it went so hot that the shunt resistor disordered in flight. I have seen, um, a mini drag 
I, I'm not sure. No, it was a big drag from uh, a friend of mine here in Germany uh, who maidened, and uh, during the maiden, suddenly the plane completely shut off and it crashed. Luckily, not much damage, uh, damage but uh, yeah, at 90 or 100 amps or so, <laughs> the shunt resistor disordered and it was it was gone. The same happened uh, for Glenn Thoe on his high-speed AR ring uh, on 6S. He pulled a also around 90 to 95 amps through it and uh, he was wondering nothing was working he connected power it was completely dead and then i told him uh, remove the flight controller flip it around look at the underside because the shunt, shunt resistor is on the bottom of the flight controller it was disordered at one end and it was staying vertical it was standing vertical only on one side connected so i think that that's a good point um the flight controllers look very capable in the first place, but they are smaller. They don't uh, don't withstand uh, or can't can't handle these high power levels anymore, and yeah, then we have to sacrifice here. And uh, at the end, you have to go to a H765 to get a flight controller that can handle that much much power. Yeah. Oh, just just uh, before we carry on, I just want to make. Clear, but I'm not slagging Maytek off or anything like that. It's applying to any manufacturer. Yeah. It's just use their boards more than anything. So that's why they're being used as an example. It, it, it's the same um, for the Razer Star, the F405, this mini yeah. flight controller. The um, if 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 I can if I can say something like I mean the thing for me is I I don't understand uh, if you take like an S765 for example, I, I think it's got like ten outputs. Isn't that right? It's got 10 outputs. Um, 12. You know, you've got your 12, 12 outputs, so it's like absolutely loads. Um, and you know, it's got a couple of nice, it's got a couple of nice big backs on it. Let's be honest. You know, the the, the 12 volt and 5 volt back for the servos and that is really, really big. But it's so compacted, like um, Mark was just saying. You know, they've 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 shrunk away the um, the 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 um, the shunt resistor. So of course, you know, you you whenever you're putting that kind of flight controller into the sort of planes that can utilize all of this gear, you're more than likely going to be exceeding the, um, you know, the shunt resistor rating. Or, um, you know, on the other hand, like these five volt backs that have been failing, you know, you're going to be putting it into something, yeah, that might draw a few more amps and cause this kind of like voltage spike and that causes the, um, you know, the little back to, to actually overheat and then fail. So for me, I, I mean, I, I, I love the Matex stuff. I do like it. I sometimes wonder, you know, do people really put like their whole trust in it because it is just such a small little component that doesn't cost very much for the whole plane. And and uh, I suppose maybe we should have like a Maytek Pro line and like branch out into like Hall effect sensors and all that kind of nice stuff. <laughs> I think that's where it should really be not putting a bigger current not putting a bigger current sensor on the board, but instead having. An easy way to have an external current sensor with big hall sensors and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's. Uh, uh, I mean, that's that's was what Blackboard Boy One is just suggesting. Look, I have a echo right now. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, he said, um, wait a second, where is the post? Maybe we could have a flight controller that has an external current sensor like the Vector. I mean, uh, Autopilot or the Pixhawk series is doing that for ages now. And I mean, um, having an external current sensor board, I mean, 
Matic is a big manufacturer in that area, so they could make different sized current sensor external boards to completely decouple the uh, flight controller from the actual uh, power uh, powertrain or the the high current stuff. And uh, then just make different levels, like a current sensor up to 50 amps, up to 100, 100 amps, and one up to 200 amps, and that can be as big as it's uh, as it's needed. And then there's no sacrifice on this point to shrink down the flight controller. Look, on this one thing that I was going to say is that when I talked to someone at Maycheck about this, I asked about when a board says it can hold 120 amps. Does that mean for one? motor and, and they said no it's actually two motors so it's you divide that in half it's 60 each not 120. yeah it's... that also depends on the flight controller the the f405 for example uh, had very very big traces so you were able to pull the full current over just uh, two ESC pads, plus and minus, uh, but the WSE, the F411 WSE, and I think also the W4, uh, sorry, F411 wing, um, they have thinner traces, and to get the full current capacity, you really have to bridge the uh, ESC pads, otherwise the traces get too hot. Okay. I'll just uh, make Darren? a point. Um, firstly, Josh and Adam have been uh, toying with or been using external current sensors. I think Josh used the Vector and Adam, Adam's using a all effect one. But also, yeah. if it is a specific wing flight controller, should it not just cope with the demands that you want to put through it rather than... Because effectively, if you're putting the current sensor elsewhere, you're removing the power distribution from the PDB part of the wing flight controller. It's, it's effectively two separate products put together. My uh, problem with that is, on some builds, you may want all the features of an F765, but it's only really pulling 10 amps. And the other way around, sometimes you might want no features, you know, just an F4 on one wing, but you still want to be pulling 200 amps. So then, you know, if you want to do that, then they need to have four times as many flight controllers as they currently have to cater for all current ranges and stuff with all the different feature sets. So I think... That certainly could be a good way of doing it, but I think probably the best way is just to have external current monitoring. And obviously, like you say, I, I run external current sensing at the moment uh, on some planes, but it's quite awkward doing it at the moment. There's not dedicated pads for it. Yeah. It's not just plug and play. You have to sort out your own solution. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. I mean, just take the uh, F722 WPX, for example, uh, or the F405 uh, WSE that's just released. Uh, you have tons of server outputs, even for very big planes. You have a lot of UARTs. Uh, I think six UARTs uh, available, plus mm. the UART of the GPS, if I remember correctly, for the F411, F405 WSE. And uh, if you remove all the current sensing stuff from the flight controller, it even gets 10 millimeters shorter. So you have a really tiny flight controller at the end. And you just add the current sensor or the, um, the uh, uh, power distribution uh, system you need. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, were, they were trying to do that at one point with um, the whole um, using the ribbon cables. So you kind of brought the concept earlier, which is to have a PDB that's separate from the flight controller, and they use the ribbon cable. Um, and that was the FCHEB line of things. And it, it kind of made it big and heavy. 
but I thought that was the right concept. Is that what you're talking about as far as you would like to have see the flight controllers be its own standalone <laughs> thing and then put have your have like a big PDB being equivalent to what your needs are? Yeah, basically. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, because no, the point that I was making was the the wing flight controllers are effectively just taking those two products and merging them. Right. So effectively, if you're taking the power side away, you're basically getting rid of wing flight controllers. I, so maybe I think basically is, what we're saying here is that wing flight controllers don't work in all situations. But then true. I think they need another line of flight controllers that you know halfway between quads and wings because then all of the non-wing flight controllers don't have barometers and they don't have upward facing USB ports. They don't have other, you know, they don't have an SD card slot. They don't have the other things you want for a wing. So we need something that's a wing flight controller, but not a wing flight controller, maybe. I mean, we, we have we have this kind of stuff. Uh, we have the uh, Matic uh, quad flight controllers and the Matic uh, wing PDBs. So you just use the PDB uh, of a size you want and put the uh, quad flight controller on top of it. But then, yes, uh, look, we have that issue. Uh, the USB port is on the wrong position. Uh, mm -hmm. Hard to reach if you have a tight setup. Um, the, you maybe lack uh, the bar barometer or whatever sensor you... Uh, what any other sensor you need so yeah it's it would be good to have something uh, specialized i mean if you have really really high powerful setups i mean uh, talking to josh here with his uh, mini drag uh, or big drag uh, the esc you have it has telemetry for example um yeah i mean someone that's a lot cleverer than me could probably get that esc telemetry to talk to the flight controller because it's a it's a scorpion so it, it can talk to like Mikado systems and something else, which oh, okay. is like like for helicopters and all. But I'm mm -hmm. actually using a, um, uh, I think it's a Mach um, PL200, and I've and I've used Luke's little trick of um, of a put like a little loop of ten gauge yeah, wire. Yeah, little jump wire. Yeah. So I've kind of like made a 200 amp um, current sensor about 350 roughly. So um, by 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 putting in this like little parallel loop. So, and I still need to find out um, if it works or not, but the good thing is, like you just said, the, the ESC does have that built-in, like, um, current sensing in it, so I can, like, check it and then just double-check that the current sensor's right. So, what we effectively need to do, though, is something like this. So, this is obviously not any good for INAV, um, but... Which one is that? If that USB oh. was... <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, if, that, if that USB was replaced with a uh, breakout, like on the uh, WCX F722, so you plug the USB out, the yeah, breakout board into it, and then you can pair that up with a PDB, and these could vary in size. Mm. So these just, to link it, it's just those two connectors, and then they're connected. So, but yeah, you could have a varying size PDB to whatever suits you need, and then just something like this, but ideally with a a USB that sort of plugs in and has like the buzzer on, like the WSEs, the uh, the newer WSE boards. So is that's that something... 405 standard? No, no, this is the um, H743. Okay. So this this has got the USB-C on it, and it's got oh. a CAN bus. Cool. Uh, 
But yeah, Dar I'll, Darren, I'll just... Darren, Darren, you can you can show that on stream. People will freak out again. <laughs> <laughs> Shout off, Henrik. <laughs> <laughs> so, another issue with these smaller flight controllers is that. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I'm fine, actually. Um, the um, F, if you can imagine the size, and everyone knows what size this is, the F-411 wing, that one that Luke loves so much, um, is you know, essentially it's a pretty small flight controller. Uh, these new flight controllers that came out by Maytech, so the F-405 WSE and then the F-722 WPX, are both essentially the size of those but they have a standoff board. The problem I, I saw with them right away was that you, when you solder, the electronics are about a millimeter away from where you solder on your um, pins. So you have to have your soldering skills pretty good. And I kind of mentioned that Leslie got one the other day and I was saying, you know, you won't believe how close it is. And he's like, oh my God, you're right. This is really close. So, I mean, it took me, uh, I've, you know, I was, I never saw anything in my life until I started getting into flying fixed wing planes. And so this has been kind of like a big jump up for me. And I asked, um, you know, Maytech if they could think about coming out with these things since they already have a, a connector on there so you can hook up their GPS. Why not just simply solder on the um, pins? And I put that out to the group and about 80% of the people said, oh, hell no, I don't want that. And then about 20, maybe 30% say, oh my God, I buy that nothing but this if that came you, out. But you're forgetting there was also a solid group of people that said, we don't want any connects at all. Just, just yes. bare board. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, well. that solid group of people was just you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, I kind of, you know, but that's the, the concept is, it's kind of a good point. I thought about this a while back, which is, the idea is if you had just your PDBs and all the stuff that you would have for hook up a plane all separate, so all that you did is you just hooked up the flight controller and that was a separate thing. It would make upgrading flight controllers that much easier because whenever you, a new one came out and you wanted the features, all you would have to do is plug it in, in theory. Everyone's kind of looking like dead face like. <laughs> yeah, that, that would sort yeah. of work with this system, which um, again, it's, you just got the two plugs here. And once those are hooked up, you've got 10 servo connections, current sensor, and uh, voltage to the flight controller. So, Perfect. And, and actually, uh, the UART for ESC telemetry as well. So that's quite a decent decent option. And it, and it works with the uh, F722PX as well. So one that does support INF, Henrik. <laughs> I, I I would like the um the flight controller that shall not be mentioned that Darren had there. I think it's a I think it is a good option. Uh, except for the the that that little like um PDB board though. For some reason, mine buzzes. Oh no! Why? I've I've only just got one of those, the F seven two two WSE. I've not tried that separate board yet. Yeah, mine buzzes for some reason. Don't know why. Yeah, but they are making essentially that the uh, F405WSE is essentially it is the F405 wing. All they did is miniaturize it and move the ports s stuff off the satellite. So you've got a buzzard and you've got um, your reset button, and also it's a sub micro C connector on there as, as opposed to the old 
uh, USB micros. Um, so the idea is that it, the benefit of it is, is that when you want to hook up to your, you know, onto iNav and, and check it out, you can just unbury it, take it out, hook it up, run it, and then put it back in the plane when you're done. So yeah, it's I mean, kind of a, it's a neat concept. I love it. I just a little bit worried that these things are getting so small and a lot of people I think will, when, you know, if they look at, if I'm going to take my uh, soldering skills, I'd rather have the, the full size F405 wing. If I had the choice between these two, even though this has more benefits to it. I mean, the, uh, the benefits uh, for the satellite board for USB and the buzzer and all that stuff is uh, definitely there. But uh, maybe uh, Matex should rethink their uh, plug connection type because these JST XH, I'm not sure what uh, what number it is, uh, with uh, 0.8 millimeters uh, spacing, uh, they are really too sensitive. Uh, on my AR Ring Pro, for example, uh, sometimes the buzzer is just not working and I have to push against the uh, the, the plug a little bit. So uh, maybe they should they should go for these uh, clip-on plugs like uh, Auto, uh, like Pixhawk are using and the uh, the F35 Lightning flight controller. Yeah, Josh, exactly. Yeah, these ones. Clickmate. I think I think uh, Molex Clickmate or something. Yeah, so these JSD connectors are a little bit too flimsy. So, I, for, for example, if they uh, will make something like these external uh, external current sensors, I definitely would not rely on this kind of connector on the flight controller. That would be really critical. Josh, pull up the vector. <laughs> I'm after vector. Coming soon. <laughs> Fantastic. They did have some chunky connectors, though. <laughs> yeah, the, the JST GH, the connectors that the Pixhawk and stuff use, and they are really good connectors. They have the locking tab on them. Yeah, yeah it's very solid. So most most problems I've had with the vector is the plugs keep getting pulled out on the on one sort of vectors because again, they haven't got the locking thing, have they? Yeah, on on my uh, Pixhawk cubes, normally when you pull a connector out, it doesn't pull the connector apart. It like pulls it off the PCB. That's uh how well they lock so <laughs> so what you guys are basically saying is that if you were to take let's say the flight controller just be by itself some something that adds on maybe a little 20 by 20 that goes, sits on top but then what you would do is you pick your pdb based off of your needs so if you're putting in a big plane you want something like the 765 or even larger so that it has a huge amount it could draw a huge amount of current but if it's going into something like uh the dart 250g you want something as small as possible what you can do without the bells and whistles you just kind of want to buy these separately right it would be quite good if the actual sort of flight controllers themselves like this i gotta say a, a 765 here if you had the options to either have the use the built-in um current sensor or have a pin so you can have an external one say 200 300 amp one yeah okay so you can have you can have it either or can't you you can have it just a small board on its own, or use the <laughs> current sensor pin from an external current sensor to, to any size you like. Yeah, and you can put the current sensor wherever you want. You can put it directly next to the uh, ESC and then have some long wires wherever your flight controller is. You, get, you have much more freedom even to, to, to place the flight controller. If you have yeah. a, a, yeah. 
just just look at the uh, the Kyperinia with the ring compartments. You have no room for a flight controller in the center compartment. The whole front of the center compartment is just for batteries, uh, and then you have a small compartment where the XT60 plugs, actually three or four pieces uh, in a row, are. Behind that, there's the ESC, and that's all. So you must put the flight controller in the ring compartment, and uh, so it's impossible to use any uh, flight controller current sensor on an Kyperinia 2. So an external current sensor next to the uh, ESC would be perfect here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be great. And then if you did that also, if you had that 20 by 20, just the flight controller itself, you could probably bear that in the foam inside the center of the compartment, so you can get it perfectly balanced. And then, um, then you would have all the electronics and everything. You just put a long wire onto it and have all the electronics else off of it. Yeah. All right. So okay. we need to have Samson and have a conversation with him. Like, we got ideas for you. But then if you just go 20 by 20, are you then going too small? Again, there are situations where you need it, but you can fit more on a 32 by 32. So, for example, on the 20 by 20, you might miss things off like camera switching and all these sort of useful yeah. features. So no, the 20, it, the, that would just be the flight controller itself. That would not be, it would not be any of the electronics that you hook up to. You'd have way too many, but then, but that is related to the flight controller because the, you'd still, on that flight controller board, you'd still need your OSD and all that sort of stuff. Right. But the camera connections would still have to go there. Right, the camera connection still has to go there. And so, right. but you, if you break it out too much, you just end up with, you know, 30 cables going off elsewhere. Well, so, I mean, yeah. some people would like 30 cables. If you're making, like Josh is making that full-size drag, he wouldn't mind having 30 cables if it meant that he could do exactly what he wants to. But for the guy who is it's the first INAB build, he probably wants something small and simple, you know, not too many cables and not too much complexity. And I mean, there, there's, uh, uh, sorry, Andy, just a second. Uh, there's also a limit for the uh, number of plugs you can put on a 20 by 20 board. I mean, just look the, look at the uh, F411WSE. You have just enough space for the servo connectors everything everything else has to be soldered because there is no place for dupont con uh, connections at this point i so say it's very very plain dependent on which board you would choose anyway isn't it you yeah. wouldn't want to put a f11 a 411 inside a, a big plane because you know it's well you, you could put it in there but like i say you want asking for the dependency of the board itself i always try and so then my little Dart 250 has got the is it 411 Ys WSE in it. Um, but I would certainly wouldn't put that board in something like a larger plane. So the, the Spitfire behind me, that 2.6 meter one's going to go INAV at some point. I don't really want to put a, a small board. I want to put, a, let's say, something that's potentially more reliable because it is a little bit bigger. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, totally. But also from the manufacturer's point of view, they don't really want to make too many different boards. So if, if at the moment they have the standard flight controllers with the, you can use in a quad or in a plane or anything. So from their point of view, they want to sort of stick with that, but then just have something that that connects to, like a PDB or um, yeah, yeah. external system. Okay. I mean, they seem to have enough flight controllers as it is at the minute, you know, I, I honestly can't follow how many different flight controllers there are for Maytech. And to me, you know, yeah, the F765 seems to be the the one that kind of does everything. 
but you can certainly have smaller ones. I mean, I, 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 I don't see why they wouldn't just do like a little pro line and just keep me happy. <laughs> yeah, just do one to keep us happy, mate. <laughs> but still, Josh, the, the pro line, you'd still want it so that you can use it in multiple things. You wouldn't. Oh yeah, it's so specialized. Like have to have everything as a breakout. You'd mm. still want it as a, a component that you can put with other things, like a, a pro line PDB. Yeah, but no, the the pro line just needs to be flight controllers made to Josh's specifications. That, that's what the pro line needs to be. That that would be the Josh special edition. <laughs> I'll, I'll that sounds a bit too much I like need. a. That sounds a bit too much like a JV special edition. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, want to move on now to we're, we got like eighteen minutes left. Um, the this week we had something kind of special happen, and I know Luke is all excited to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing. Um, th this was NASA uh, landed the rover. I guess they just landed the rover itself, which was the Perseverance, on Mars. And they only had about a 40% success rate so far getting their capsules or whatever they put on, on Mars landed. So it did land. And on there is something called the Ingenuity, which is a helicopter. And it's, so it's a two-blade helicopter, and it's about 40-inch blades, carbon fiber, and it is the first time that they've ever used something that's off the shelf. So they used a Qualcomm Snapdragon 801 um, processor, <laughs> processor, and really? it is, yeah, this was, and it was all open source. They bought the stuff off the shelf. And so it's open source project that they have. You can go download it from NASA's, all right, they have a GitHub page, you can download it. Um, so Luke, can you kind of walk us through this? I, I, I have no idea about it more than anyone else does. I mean, I can, I can read off the, uh, GitHub page, but that's about it really. I, <laughs> I mean, I, ju I, ju I just recently had a talk with, uh, some friends about it, uh, where we were discussing what actually was off the shelf, because I only found the information that some of the components of the helicopters were off the shelf stuff, uh, but we didn't know what it was. So it's also new to me. <laughs> I know that some of the stuff is off the shelf. I know that uh, F Prime, the or you know F, F Dash, uh, the flight control firmware they're using is open source. I've had a go with it on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's uh, all all very very fancy and stuff. I'm not really sure too much. <laughs> They've got a really good website though, where they go into a lot of detail about all the different parts of the rover. Uh, I'll put a link to it in chat. Uh, People may want to go and have a look. <laughs> the reason this is kind of important is because um, when you look at what's going on here, which is the um, what they one of the things they led on to is that 801 Snapdragon processor is actually more powerful than the stuff they actually have on the rover. Um, so it is what's happening now is that things are starting to go more towards like what the hobbyists are using. This is really strange. This is pretty much hobbyist kind of gear that they're putting on something. It was just a test gear, but the, their attitude is, if, hey, if it works, we'll just keep using it because it's cheap and it works. Um, and so the question I have for you, Luke, because Luke comes from us from the commercial side of the drone industry. Um, do we see the hobbyist kind of line of stuff coming out? Are we able to, because there's so many of us, are we able to go through and scale upwards faster than NASA can? 
in the commercial drone industry? The commercial drone industry I work in isn't really NASA kind of stuff. Right. It's if I had to guess, though, based on what I see in the stuff that I do, uh, it's very similar. The, the technology is very much the same. I, I know that people often talk about, you know, the military's 10 years ahead of us. They have aliens and stuff and that they're keeping <laughs> secret and they're siphoning technology off of. Uh, that's certainly not what I've seen. Uh, we're, we're not that far behind. They're learning from us just as much as we're learning from them. <laughs> Josh, say something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just looking at the first pictures of the Mars landing here, and uh, <laughs> I've already found life. <laughs> Not really. He's waiting, he's waiting for the uh, ingenuity to take off. He wants to be the first to watch the drone flight. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it, but what I'm looking at here is like. Um, I don't know, I, just the, the feeling I'm getting, and I've started noticing this more and more recently, which is it seems like because um, what I the, what I would say is this, and we're all connected now. So you get a bunch of hobbyists who work on things by themselves, and then they're a nerd, and then they find five other nerds close by, and then they work on stuff together. That doesn't really scale very much. But all of a sudden, you're getting all these nerds together online. All of a sudden, there's thousands of us together working on different things. We can work on things faster and in more detail than what a team of scientists can do, you know, for eight or 12 hours a day when you only have like 20 or 30 people who can work on a project or less, depending on what it is. So I think what I'm excited about is this is the first time that NASA who has always been, we have to make it ourselves. We have to test everything, triple whatever. I mean, they uh, when the first rover went up, I, they had bicycle gear on there. The wheels were bicycle wheels. And so the idea was like, they just test stuff out. And what this is really about is this, it's supposed to be just a test. They just want to see if it can go up and down, if it crashes or does whatever else. They weren't certain that the rover was going to work the first time. So it just went around in circles. And so this flight is just going to be going up and down. But if this works, what they're looking to do is actually use um, a, not a quad, but it's basically a two-bladed helicopter to follow along and um, guide the rover so that they have less reliance on people on Earth making the calculations for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically it's just a, just a how, how is it called, a concept. It con concept uh, life testing so uh, as far as I, I know uh, they only plan on five flights overall five five flights are the target each flight right. 90 seconds but they need a few days to charge the battery with a small solar panel on top uh, for each flight so what they basically want to do is just fly straight up take a few photos send them to the rover so the rover can calculate or can send back the data and they can calculate some kind of route and uh, then we'll just follow uh, the path where it makes sense to to drive to okay it's exciting stuff Luke. do you have anything else you want to add to this before we get off this topic no all right yeah so it's exciting, and I think it's going to bring uh, people, at least if this takes off, it's going to get people's interest in, uh, you know, I would say drones or things that fly once again. So it's only beneficial for us. Hopefully it works out. Wish them luck. Um, 
the last topic of the day is pid sharing. And so we get this quite a bit more recently. And so in the group, I've had people who sign on and are like, hey, someone can give me a diff or dump file. I've got this flight controller. I've got this plane. I got this motor. You know, they could all work for me and hand it over. And so I finally had to say, okay, enough of that. And that's not what we're here for. But I wanted to get more into the concept of PID sharing and sharing um, diff files and PID files and the pros and cons and what we're going to be able to do for them in the future. So, Mark, I know you have some definite opinions about this. Yeah, so pitch sharing, a lot of people might be confused uh, on my opinion because we are actually sharing tunes and pits on our website. But uh, there's definitely this very important point. These pits and these tunes are only uh, are only to use when you exactly build the plane as it's listed on the website. So we have the same servos, we have the same motor, uh, the same rates that's very important P uh, PIF tuning is always depending on the rates you set and uh, everything identical then it will work my uh, AR Pro tuning setup for example a lot of people use it and for everyone I saw it works just fine and all the tunes we share are very con conservative so there is nothing very aggressive nothing uh, uh, kind of borderline tuning with very high roll rates or pitch rates or whatever the problem is if someone asks in the group for pits for a specific plane and he got the plane as a kid for example uh, then he might get 20 answers with 20, uh, 20 different tunings and uh, as long as you don't know the person who shares his tune and uh, you know how good this person is at tuning a plane I mean we have different levels some people are good at it some people understand it some people don't understand it but know how to do it anyway there are very very uh, various factors here uh, but then you use one you start your plane and it's getting completely out of control. This can happen. I yeah. uh, recently saw a post in the German FPV Racer Germany uh, group uh, that mainly handles all quad stuff and beta flight stuff. And there was one guy, uh, he said, help me, uh, I have a problem. I burned my third or fourth motor already or ESC or whatever. He don't know uh, how that happens. Uh, he just built the quad and he used uh, the pits from Mr. Steel. And I thought, okay, that's not 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 even close to the quad that Mr. Steel uses. And he just used these pits. These pits are even for a very old beta flight version. And the old beta flight versions uh, needed much higher pit values than the newer ones after 4.0. So every time he launched and he flew around, he burned up his motors because the D, uh, D value was way too high. And uh, that's the same that can happen on, um, on our planes. In the future, it gets even more critical. Um, there is some thing going on in the development it will not come in 2.7 but uh, some developers want to have a full PID FF controller that can handle as well as planes and also quadcopters so you don't have two different controllers for both and if you have that uh, and you have a D value again 
and the filter for the D value is not set correctly, you can even burn up your servers. Because if you have vibrations, the servers start, start to jitter in flight very fast, and this can burn them, just burn them up. And if you take some pits from someone else, uh, yeah, this can actually crash your plane or make it even worse as before, as it was before. So yeah, pit sharing is really a topic I don't like to see. You can share rates, that's no problem. But basically, just use the preset in iNav based on the plane size. And uh, these presets are very low, basically. They are fine to get the plane in the air, and then you just uh, launch and do your auto-tune, and you are done. Darren, I know you had some uh, thoughts on this topic, so can you share them with us? Uh, pretty much Mark's covered it. It's, it's one thing that I've never really been keen on. <laughs> um, and you know, when I was first getting into the hobby, I first started looking at quads. And even back then, though, you know, people are asking for pids. And even the well-known pilots were saying, "Well, there's no point. They're all different. It's going to be different depending on how you've built everything." So, yeah, it's, it's <clears throat> ask for advice, ask for tuning help, ask for maybe throws, rates, that sort of stuff is fine. But when you get too specific, it's just going to end in tears. And I think the most important thing, as Mark pointed out, is you don't know how well the person who's suggesting his plane flies. They could be someone like, you know, Mark, who is a great tuner, or they could be someone like me who just sets it on default and flies. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hold my hand up. I'm crap at tuning and it's something I do want to sort of learn how to deal with. And it's something that Mark and I are going to sort of look into together. Um, just to try and improve me um but yeah it's you're you're better off just as mark said using a default rather than trying to get everything i mean some settings you know maybe auto launch settings may be helpful stuff like that but um josh doesn't like auto launch <laughs> josh is his own auto launch um but yeah there, there's some things that are possible to share but other things are just just dangerous so I don't what I'd say is if you're a guy that has, let's say you bought the Dart 250G and you bought the PNP version and you're flying at default and you got your flight controller all figured out, you got your PIDs all tuned in, and then a buddy comes along and says, hey, I want this exact same plane. And if they say, if you tell them you buy this flight controller, you buy this exact setup, I'll put it in, I'll copy my PIDs over and put it on here. I'll put my, you can probably do a dump file or a diff file and you can, as long as you get the um, servo calibration, I mean the uh, acceler accelerometer calibrated, you should be good to go with that if you want to do that for someone. Yeah. I mean, to an extent, actually, the flight controller doesn't really matter because if you do a diff, it doesn't copy the flight controller specific information. Okay. It's, it's only if you do a dump, which you should never do a dump between two, diff two different flight controllers. But if okay. you do a diff, uh, Darren? Darren, that, yeah. that's that's not fully correct. Uh, it, it even it wait, wait, Mark's disagreeing. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no way. Mark's never disagreed before. 
<laughs> no, uh, I just want to want to have that clear here. Uh, the the diff uh, copies everything that's in the CI configuration that's not the default value anymore. So it also copies your port settings, it copies your servo positions, it, it copies your mixer settings, everything. As long as it, as as said, oh, as long as it has changed uh, related to the, to the INAF defaults. So you need to be very careful. Even if you copy a diff, you can completely mess up your like UART settings, for example, or receiver settings. It's all included. Yeah, but yeah. those are pretty easy to figure out if you if screw those yeah. up, and they're not going to work. I mean, what what I did, uh, I have I have a lot of planes uh, that are all on INAF 2.6, and I keep them up to date every time a new INAF version is released. I test it out on one plane. I make make some t uh, some settings, and I made myself uh, a template sheet where I have all the settings that I can safely carry over between all the planes, like my mode setups, my uh, my configuration for my OSD, for oh what else? There's a lot of stuff in there for my telemetry settings to get the uh, telemetry Lua script working and all that stuff. Uh, so basically, I flash the plane on a new INAF version. I copy that whole template with 300 lines of CAI or so uh, into my uh, new flight controller. So everything is set up, and I only have to do the flight controller specific stuff like calibration, ports, mixer, uh, starting tune, and I'm done. So basically, setting up a new plane takes me five minutes or so. No. Oh. So but, you, but you have to be very selective what you can copy over between all your planes then. Interesting. Yeah, but the idea is that I, I can kind of see where people get a little bit. The What I've heard people say is like, hey, I just built an album bird. I spent all winter working on it, and I'm scared as hell to get this thing flying. And so on my first maiden, so I want to look at someone else's PID tunes or whatever. And that's been what we've been hearing over and over again. But what I'm hearing from you is like, if you do that, it might be, you know, you might use different motors and the PID's completely off. It's not going to work. So it doesn't bother looking at it. Yeah. Ahead, and a simple solution to that is fly in manual mode on your first flight. <laughs> and then, you know, you know then, then it doesn't cause a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, actually well, true. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, but uh, Steve just mentioned the other bird, and uh, that reminds me on the other topic we also wanted to speak about in this call: the uh, dolphining uh, yes. in navigation modes and altitude hold. And this is also a good example where you never, or where you can get issues if you transfer pits, because the other board as well as the uh, mini crosswind, they are very similar on that topic. Uh, both planes are extremely sensitive to the smallest amount of move it, movement on the um, on the elevator. Um, and they need a very, very specific and fine-tuned uh, PIF controller, especially uh, to have a good uh, pitch control. And I'm working with An uh, with Andrew Newton f since two weeks or so on his mini crosswind uh, dolphining problem. And uh, based on his logs, we really figured out that the PIF controller is the main issue. Uh, his rates were too high, the feed-forward value was not keeping up to reach that rate that was set. So uh, the item winded up and this caused the dolphining uh, in his case. And we are very, very close to a final solution, but uh, due to the current hard lockdown, lockdown in his region, he was not able to fly again. 
Um, and this is a good point because to have an Arbabird or a Mini Crosswind fly really straight, really level and stable, it needs a very, very decent tune, especially on the pitch axis. And even if you have an identical plane and then you transfer the pits, you can get the get back the dolphining again because maybe the servo linkage is a little bit longer or and you have a little bit more throw or just a slight difference in the rates you have set up or the cg is different that can have a big impact on that plane on these planes so that was part of the reason why we came up with the top 21 planes of, the, of 2021 was because i wanted to on the website kind of go over all the planes but the original concept was to have the pids but that it's not worthwhile doing that, but what we can do is probably help people out with the rates as far as what these are so that you can put them in and you can go through the whole process. And the other thing is like we're doing this group build for the S800. I wanted to have everyone see here's the exact process to follow. So we're all going to build it together and, you know, it's going to be um, Luke, you don't it looks like waking up here. Um, I'm listening. Yeah, in the United States, we have this when you date a really beautiful girl, it's different from my generation to your generation. Uh, what happens is they they have a, a social media presence, and so they want to do stuff with you. So you end up at a place called Color Me Mine, which I know you never heard of before. But basically what it is is you walk into the store, and you see a bunch of white coffee mugs, and you see a bunch of white plates and whatever else. And you sit down and you paint them and like you put hearts on there and I love you and whatever. And what they do is they take it and then they they put it in a kiln and they glaze it and it looks perfect about a week later. And you end up spending like $25 for a coffee mug that looks like crap that you break and you throw it against the wall when you break up with her. But that's kind of, that whole concept is what we're trying to do with the S800, which is kind of like, Everyone, as we're building this together, let's do some real crazy stuff <laughs> as far as... I'm, I'm just going to put it out there, Steve. You've un you've explained something that I did understand with something that I didn't understand. That's <laughs> not really helped me very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know these young women that we have out here. They, they're they very much into places like Color Me Mine. And you're like, <laughs> as a guy like my age, you drive there like, you drive by and you're like, what the hell is this place? <laughs> You look inside, and there's a bunch of white plates and whatever is inside, and, and girls go crazy for this. Anyway, so trying to date. By the way, just build it. By the way, kind of modifications are we talking here? <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is with the color me mine is you, you have parties where everyone gets together and they paint stuff and do whatever. Girls are into this. Guys need their own thing, and that's what this 800 build is going to be about, where you can get in there and you can start 3D printing this. This plane is kind of, we talked about it, it's, you know, there are people who absolutely hate the plane. So, like, Arthur hates the plane, and he, like, couldn't give his away fast enough. And there are people who hate it, and then there are people, like, we brought back uh, Christian Moe from Norway, he built it like six or seven times, and he loves the plane. And you watch it fly, and it flies like a quad. It is so perfect. He's got that thing figured out. And he said, I tuned this three years ago. I love it. I never want to change it. So he's going to help us with getting the, the 3D parts for it, and he's going to give us some guidance on how he put it together. Um, but that was the whole idea was, like, let's get people together. And we'll talk about this more next month, but let's get people together and start talking about um, as we build a plane together, 
we can all kind of like build it, but we can also venture off and do different things with it and make it unique and fun and kind of show the whole process of putting the plane together. Then, then, you know, talking about how you put it together and the parts you put in there and things like that. And that's kind of, I think, what's missing in the group because a lot of times people are like, I want to get an S800. And then they get it and they look on the list and order this motor, order this. And it, it doesn't quite, you know, it's not the magic that they were hoping for like other people have. Josh, you can say something. I mean, the difficulty, um, you know, I found is a bit like what Darren said earlier. You know, love the building, and uh, yeah, the the S eight hundred project sounds great, but it's um, it's it is like the tuning thing for me. And I think my problem was is like not actually just going right. I don't know enough about this. You know, I need to actually seek the help on it. And I'm one of those people. I'll try and do it myself first so many times, and and uh, and, and really, I was wrong about it. But um, Mark. The advice that you gave me whenever we were talking about tuning the mini crosswind of just going through the basics like this is a really like sort of it's not a hard to tune plane I guess but it's it's just needs everything to be so particularly right and whenever Mark talked me through the setup I've put in like some base settings and now it actually flies absolutely fine so you know th there's a little tiny bit of dolphining but it's it's so so mellowed out now. It's just totally transformed it. So, like for me, you know, the I I would love you know that kind of content, and I think that's maybe what Darren and yourself are, are thinking about doing. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, Josh, I have your pits. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> I mean, co co coincidentally, so I'll I'll change them to my background. <laughs> um, <laughs> Guys, coincidentally, just when I talked about that uh, that um, mini crosswind uh, dolphining, uh, Andrew showed up in the chat, so uh, he's also watching now. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting that uh, I basically used what I learned from Andrew's logs and gave it to you, Josh, with the rates especially and some starting pi uh, starting pits, uh, starting feed forward values. And yeah, as you say, it works already pretty well. So I will look at the logs later and then we can figure out to maybe optimize a little bit more um, and have a look how it goes that, uh, on his plane. Uh, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I, I was just going to say even just, you know, that, that basic thing that you ran through with me. Um, okay, you know, we, we, we said, right, it needs like 30 degrees of, of movement in manual. But you, you showed me that um, with... The, uh, in acro mode it should only go to like 80% of that travel like that kind of stuff I had no idea about but obviously everything helped towards you know correcting this issue hmm. yeah we need to do that for 21 planes that's kind of a, the whole idea <laughs> Mark's like it's like it's kind of a lot to ask I know so but and, that, let's, and, and let's, what do and what do we learn by all this guys follow the guides Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's in the guides, that's my bad. You know, I just need to read that more. Make it more approachable, and that's kind of yeah. I wanted to. I figured that those twenty-one planes represent about eighty percent of what, or ninety percent, what the group's flying at any given time. So if we can help out with getting those things, it's not giving people PIDs, it's not giving them diff files, but at least give them ideas about how to tune this properly or setting it up properly, and then we, we can go a lot further. So We might need to rewrite them when 2.7 is released. <laughs>
Oh yeah, that's true. Do a version four two point seven rather than rewrite just in case people are still on the older flight controllers. No, yeah, no, no. Why don't we wait until two point seven comes out? But then two point eight will be coming out, so we have to wait until two point eight. That's... Yeah, but I, I hope 2.8 will not uh, re revamp the whole tuning stuff again. <laughs> but what if 2.9 does? <laughs> yeah, then we will do it again. <laughs> does the 7 um, stand for 8.7? <laughs> does the 7 stand for 8.7? Yeah, 2.7, that stands for 8.7, right? Oh, ah, eight, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying eight is in the number. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, my H, H makes more sense. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, hey, I want to thank. Hey, wait, 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 Steve. For... Steve, wait, yes. wait a second. I want to. I want to uh, just ask uh, Andrew. How do you play, tune your planes, or do you even tune your planes? I mean, you 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 are building a lot of stuff. Um, to be honest, I. Possibly got four or five planes on iNav. I am very new to iNav. Um, I can thank Josh for that. But <laughs> most of my most of my stuff I used to fly in manual. Well, not even have flight controllers in. Um, then I went to had a I think the old FY forty one. I had those years ago. Uh, went to Vector. <coughs> And then, um, <laughs> too late. <laughs> yeah, but, and obviously now getting in, stuck into iNav, and I say it's it's. The thing that sort of let me down on the FY is the fact that you can't tune anything. So then I thought, well, well Vector, you've got a, a margin if you can tune stuff to tweak to what you're flying style. Um, and obviously now I've got to introduce into iNav. You can pretty much tune anything you like um, to suit your flying style. And so I am in the, the process of actually sort of learning all this stuff myself. But say that you're on about, you guys on about the, the 2.7. Um, as I say, it's mind-boggling for me because I I've not, I've not really got into it that much. Um, obviously, you've had the YouTube videos and help from you guys. I hopefully uh, pick this all up. But yeah, it's it's certainly exciting stuff. It's interesting. So you're a guy that's been flying for how many years now? I probably had my first plane when I was about seven. That's like twenty years ago. And the rest. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been flying for quite a while, and yeah. you know, it's, it, it's it, we're getting a lot of people coming in the group who are old time, you know, uh, F, light of sight pilots who yeah. all of a sudden are like want to get into this. So it's FPV for me. It's probably only been probably eight years now for FPV, and that okay. started off like a really basic. Um, I had the very first um, Fat Shark goggles, the Predators. That's that's how I got started. Obviously, all those years ago, and I've I pretty much had every goggles ever sort of since that as well. But um, it, it's like a it's a very steep learning curve. Um, but like I say I did start off a line of sight and always wanted more sort of things. Right. So you're getting out of it what you want out of it now, as far as you know, I mean, you have some expensive vector modules sitting there, and yeah, I've got I think I've got about five vectors. Oh God. <laughs> that's, that's a nice wine vacation right there yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't start on the dragon link stuff for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, yeah i say that certainly these little boards these little sort of matek boards are certainly a godsend when it comes to tuning to your flying style and setting up the osds how you want them and all that sort of thing because it's certainly so tweak it's it's it is mind-boggling how much you can tweak yes. so, 
in in some ways that's good but in other ways if you're starting out it's it's like say where do you start is this the you start at www.inavfixweekgroup.com, go to Mark Hoffman's tuning guides, masterclass tuning. And we've got, uh, it's, you read that, everything is fantastic. So yeah. what, what happened, the thing I see where people tend to fall off at in the tuning guides, they say you're supposed to do rolls and then you're supposed to count frames as to, and I'm like, 90% of the people are never going to do this. So we need to like help them out as far as rates are concerned. I'm with you. You're the same way. Um, Darren. Do the thing. <laughs> I don't know, Josh, you've ever caught counted frames before in your life to look at the, the rolls and, you know. Only with the mini crosswind. Like <laughs> before, I've, I've never done it before, but uh, with the mini crosswind, they say it needed the, the, the rates correctly um, set on it. Okay. So that's great. So, and then what we're gonna, what's happening now is you guys are figuring it out between you and Andrew. We're starting to figure out the mini crosswind, the correct, you know, roll um, rates and pitch rates and everything else, and we can kind of publish that. And these are conservative ones you can use to get going with it and so prevent problems. It sounds like it's more than just the the rates. You need to have, as you were saying before, you need to have a certain amount of um, travel on your. Yeah. on acro and things like that and so yeah fantastic yeah cool mark is anything else we should add before we call it uh, an evening no that was the last wait. point from my side wait wait, wait 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 Darren has has to say. well you've been mentioning the top 21 planes quite a lot and i know from speaking with andy who is very disappointed that when we mentioned the pixel 2 he had to go and tuck his daughter in so andy <laughs> why do you love the pixel 2 um, just watch some of the videos. That's basically what. <laughs> the big you, you can hit somebody in the back of the head, and they don't even know it. <laughs> and to be fair, that's when I went to the funny farm. That was one of the first things I saw was Andy <laughs> flying a Bixler two into Matt. <laughs> and then me, and then Austin, and then Darren, and then back to Matt. <laughs> So, yeah, great first expression, I would say. <laughs> Impression. <laughs> so there's, like, little holes in the Bixler 2 in the nose when you put them together. Before you put it together, you can put weights in there. And <laughs> the next one, it'll hurt a little bit more when you hit these people. <laughs> well, we, we, try, we do it in a safe manner. So we, we do mess around quite a lot at the Funny Farm. But we try and be as safe as we can without, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, we know nobody's really got hurt so far. <laughs> that badly right yeah when you play with fireworks and half a litre of petrol you want to you want to be safe you don't want to obviously hurt anybody you have, you have socialized medicine in the uk so it's not really a big deal out yeah. here you actually have to pay for people's injuries and stuff like that i think it's kind of expensive <clears throat> so oh, fantastic all right guys anything else before we call it a, a day Luke's wait, he, he almost has something to say. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for joining us this time. That's all right. Thanks very much for letting me let me come and chat. This is great. We've enjoyed having you, Josh. Always great to have you and Bernie Sanders to, <laughs> together. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> He's waiting. Bernie's waiting for the next show, I guess. <laughs> and don't don't let us to, wait too long for the main video. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
Wait, yeah, I'm um, say so second we got Funny Farm back on. Um, Drak's gonna be out. Great. <laughs> Upsetting yeah, all of the neighbors. Funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is loud. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next month for another edition of Wing Talk. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. See you. See you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Wing Talk. The webcast is live the third Sunday of every month, and this podcast follows shortly afterwards. Check out inavfixedwinggroup.com for more details.